Roe v. Wade, Cassidy Hutchinson, and prayer at public schools. I'm Fode Silla, and this is The Square Circle. Hello and welcome to The Square Circle. I'm your host, Fode Silla. Join us today, our conservative columnist for the Washington Examiner, Quinn Hellier. Hey, Quinn, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Fede. How are you doing? I am well. Good. Progressive and Executive Director of Reproactions, Erin Matson. Hey, Ms. Matson, it's nice to see you again. Good evening, Fode. Good to see you. It's always a pleasure. And Libertarian Dan Mitchell of the Center for Freedom and Prosperity. Hey, Mr. Mitchell, how are you doing this good day? I'm doing, I'm doing great. Hoping uh, you're doing great as well. Welcome, everybody. Last Friday, the Supreme Court issued its highly anticipated ruling on abortion. Here's the coverage from ABC News. Bottom line, Roe versus Wade is overruled. There is no constitutional right to an abortion in this country anymore as of today. Justice Samuel Alito in, as you say, uh, an opinion that tracks very, very carefully, as far as I can see at this point, uh, with the opinion that was leaked, the draft opinion, says without question, it is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. Ms. Madsen, what, what can you tell us about this uh, ruling? Yeah, the Supreme Court has, has issued an absolutely devastating ruling to overturn 50 years of president that affirmed women's equality in the Constitution. Unfortunately, now uh, we can expect that uh, in short order, more than half the states are likely to not offer abortion in clinic abortion care because of what the Supreme Court has just done. I can't speak strongly enough about the devastation that this is causing. Everywhere I look and turn, I'm hearing from women of a variety of ages who are just heartbroken to know that uh, a Supreme Court has decided that essentially the 14th Amendment doesn't apply to us. Anybody else have something to add to that? Libertarians are split on the uh, on the uh, issue of Roe v. Wade in terms of constitutional law. Uh, but I'll say as a uh, as a as a proponent of good government policy, I like the idea that we're going to get some federalism out of all this. Uh, we're going to see some states have relatively strict rules. Some states have very lenient rules. Uh, and people can sort of sort themselves. And you know what that's going to make us like? That's going to make us like Europe. Uh, most countries in Europe, uh, on the margin, they tend to be fairly conservative with uh, abortion relatively freely available for the first three months or so. But after that, it gets uh, fairly uh, strict. And I don't see any reason why turning it back to the democratic process, letting states sort themselves out, finding a political equilibrium, and hopefully defusing the issue as something that uh, causes so much division, uh, I actually welcome this. And I think it's going to wind up, you know, after like three or four years of fighting, we're going to wind up with an equilibrium 
that I think is going to be satisfactory to 90% of the population. I agree with, I agree with Dan, uh, I think with every word that he just said, uh, I would just add that uh, regardless of what you think of it as policy, uh, the so-called right to abortion might be a good idea if you think so, but it's not in the constitution. The original Roe v. Wade decision was so bad that uh, as constitutional law that even a whole bunch of pro-choice liberal constitutional scholars said it wasn't rooted in the constitution at all. It was basically, its reasoning was abandoned in the Casey case of 1992, which substituted a new uh, made up reason to find a right to abortion in the constitution, which was also ludicrous. Uh, as constitutional law, last week's decision was absolutely right on target. Now we get to go and start deciding what the best policy would be. Ms. Madsen? Yeah, I mean, this is chaos. And I would say this is the absolute opposite of good governance, because what we now have is a patchwork of access and a patchwork of laws. And unfortunately, you know, I think some people think this law, this decision and ruling only impacts them if they want to have an abortion. And I'm very sorry to say that that's not the case. Um, we're already seeing that um, anti-abortion laws are being explored to bar people from traveling to another state to access abortion care. We think of the, we think of the constitution protecting uh, various state laws, and that is seems to be on the chopping block. The National Right to Life Committee has put forward a bill that would even criminalize um, sharing information about how abortion pills work. In fact, right before this taping, I was out with a bullhorn outside the Supreme Court sharing information about the World Health Organization protocol for self-managed abortion with pills. That freedom of speech is something that the National Right to Life Committee model legislation would actually uh, criminalize and what I just did. So, um, so there are a variety of rights that are on the chopping block as, as a, as a uh, result of this. And at the end of the day, I just want to express my sorrow and horror and solidarity with people who are scrambling to find care in this country right now. If I can jump in and say one more thing about the, the bit about crossing state lines as a uh, as an originalist, as a real originalist, uh, I would note that there is another uh, part of the 14th Amendment that uh, should preclude any laws that uh, prohibit traveling across state lines for such purposes, except insofar as it involves ferrying minors across state lines. It, it's the Privileges and Immunities Clause, and I would oppose, even I'm a pro-lifer, I would oppose any pro-lifers trying to pass a law that says you can't travel to, to another state for, uh, for just about anything, because the right to travel interstate is absolutely guaranteed by the Constitution through the Privileges and Immunities Clause, and uh, and as a even as a, a a conservative, I would uphold that right for uh, people that want to take advantage of it, even if I might disapprove. Mr. Mitchell, you have anything to add to that? Well, let me say something in defense of the patchwork of of laws that are going to be out there. Uh, I think that's part of the process that will enable us to get to the equilibrium that I think will satisfy ninety percent of the population. If you talk to the most pro-life person out there and say, okay, are you gonna to try to outlaw IUDs? Because at least 
if I understand correctly, and I might be wrong, that prevents the implant, implement, implantation of a fertilized egg. So is that an abortion? Are they really going to try to go overboard with a law like that? I don't think so. On the other hand, you talk to some of the most pro-choice people out there and say, look, are you really comfortable with the idea of having an abortion at eight months and 20 days? And at least privately, they'll say, no, that's really gross. So I think letting the political process work, letting democracy get at it. Yes, some states will be more strict, some states will be more lenient, but I think we will wind up like Europe. And I just I just don't think that's a bad result. And if it really bothers some people if they live in Mississippi, hop on a plane and, and go to Illinois or something like that. It's not going to be a major problem. And I agree with Quinn that if some states, if some Republicans follow some crazy model legislation and try to ban travel or prevent people from getting pills through the mail or things like that, then there's going to be a uh, there's going to be a, a negative rebound effect and Republicans are going to wind up losing control. Uh, or I suppose I should say pro-lifers, but I assume there's a heavy overlap nowadays with Republicans uh, on that issue. They'll wind up suffering politically. And I think politicians, above all else, they want to get reelected. And I think that over the next three or four years is what's going to give us an equilibrium that satisfies 90% of us. Also this week, the January 6th committee featured explosive testimony from a former White House aide. Here's a story from News Nation. Tuesday's hearing in front of the Special House Committee investigating the January 6th riot featured witness Cassidy Hutchinson, a former aide to former President Trump's Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Lawmakers listened as she recalled details from that day and heard radio calls from police describing some supporters being heavily armed. Perhaps the most explosive allegation of all the hearings when Hutchinson described what she was told by another aide about what allegedly happened inside the president's motorcade between Trump and a Secret Service agent. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president, take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. And my question for Mr. Hillier is um, what picture does this paint on former President Trump and his, um, I would say, collusion with the riots? It paints a devastatingly bad picture of an out of control president uh, who was willing to do just about anything to hang on to power, uh, whether legal or not, whether moral or not, whether ethical or not. And it shows that that he has no business ever getting anywhere near power again. Ms. Matson, Quinn said it. I mean, I, I completely agree. Um, it's terrifying what our country has been on the precipice of, and sadly, I don't think it's over. Um, we need to main, meet, be extremely vigilant about this threat to our democracy, and it is an unhinged president who is enabled by many people, and I'm extremely grateful to the few Republican women who are willing to stick their necks out there. And Mr. Mitchell, you agree with both of them? Well, this is a kumbaya moment uh, where I think we all agree that Trump looks very bad uh, in all this. So, so, so let me take the conversation a little bit different direction. 
because I'm a free market public policy economist, I mostly deal with Republicans in Washington, up on Capitol Hill and elsewhere. And, and I can tell you, and I bet Quinn probably knows the same thing, the vast majority of, I guess you'd call the professional Republicans in Washington, they want Trump to fade away. They want to go back to normalcy, however however that's defined, with sort of a, a you know, run-of-the-mill Republicans like DeSantis or somebody like that. They don't want Trump because he's volatile, he's unpredictable. Uh, they think he already cost them the Senate uh, by losing the two uh, Georgia runoff races uh, back in January of uh, 2021. They worry that Trump-approved uh, nominees might cost Republicans the Senate this year. So the average Republican who's uh, who's in Washington, I guess you, from a Trump perspective, you could say, oh, these are the swamp preachers. But I'm talking about you know, good, solid conservatives and pro-market libertarian-leaning Republicans as well, for the most part, they just all wish Trump would go away. But because Trump does have this this uh, loyal following, uh, you know, maybe 20% to 30% of the Republican base are fanatically loyal to him, you, you can't you can't irritate and aggravate those people uh, and still expect to win elections. So they have to walk this very careful line of hoping he goes away in private, while publicly trying to say, hey, we're all we're all just friends and stuff like that. Let me jump in if I can and, and just note that uh, that I am not one of those establishmentarians in Washington. I'm here in Trump country in Mobile, Alabama, uh, and I've spent the previous 35 to 40 years, uh, except maybe except the eight years of the Reagan administration uh, fighting what was the Washington Republican establishment. So I am certainly uh, not one of those who's just a professional Republican who wants a return to normalcy, but I want to return to decency. I want to return to honor. I want to return to somebody who respects the Constitution and, and who respects the peaceful transfer of power, among other things, which is why, despite not being anywhere near an establishment Republican, I think Donald Trump has been a disaster, is a disaster, and can never be allowed close to power again. Don't hold back, Quinn. What do you really think? <laughs> oh, I could go a lot stronger than that if you want. <laughs> I'm guessing, Ms. Madsen, you agree with the two of them as well? Well, I, I'm not going to try to define what type of Republican I am because I'm simply not a Republican. But I will say um, that I, I appreciate where Daniel took the conversation and also um, would just note that Trump is a, has been a uniquely dangerous figure to our democracy and to our republic. And um, he tried to uh, change our country into an authoritarian model. And unfortunately, even if he were to go away, which I don't think is happening, um, what he has introduced is not going away. And so this is something that we're gonna have to come together and figure out how to address across uh, political lines and to come to a consensus because I do, I very much wanna live in a democracy. I very much wanna live in a country uh, with freedom, with a bill of rights. I very much wanna live in a country with a peaceful transfer of power. And unfortunately, um, we have to keep our eyes on the prize and be aware that there are a lot of Trump affiliated folks who are taking over um, election spots at the state level, who are running for state level office. And this challenge to the legitimacy of the model of elections is something that we're gonna have to fight for together. And uh, finally, back to the Supreme Court, 
the justices ruled on a high profile case involving prayer and public schools. Here's Fox News coverage. The coach was going to pray on the football field after the games, initially by himself. There were students who joined. There were other schools uh, that decided, we want to join. Can we come with you as well? Eventually, it turned into a situation where there were some complaints that apparently um, some parents worried that kids would feel compelled, like their playing time would depend on being out there and being with the coach. They pushed back, and then the school district told him he had to stop doing it, or they would give him another place to pray. But he couldn't do that public place. Well, today, 6 to 3, the Supreme Court says that his religion doesn't have to go into hiding because he is a public employee. Was this ruling misguided? I don't have any problem with the ruling. And I say this as someone who, unless it's a wedding or a funeral, you're not going to find me in a church. Uh, I'm not a terribly religious person or anything like that. Uh, but the idea of a genuinely voluntary prayer on a football field after a game, I mean, that doesn't strike me as, a, as some sort of theocracy uh, being imposed on people. Now, if you want me to give my radical libertarian answer, I'll say, hey, someday we'll have we'll have statewide school choice in every state uh, and we won't have to worry about it because there won't be government schools. People can sort themselves out and go to secular schools, religious schools, uh, you know, schools that their parents want them to be at. Uh, but for right now, with uh, most kids going to government schools, uh, I obviously don't want government compelling prayer. So that decision that we had in the early, I think, 1960s, this, this doesn't affect it. What the Supreme Court simply said is if some coach and some players want to have a voluntary prayer uh, without any sort of sanction from the school or, or state authority or local government authority, who cares? W why get bent out of shape about it? Do you agree with that, Quinn? I absolutely agree. Uh, the Establishment Clause of the Constitution is meant to prevent the state from recognizing a particular religious sect and imposing it on the public. It is not supposed to apply to private individuals, even if they are in the public square. It is not supposed to uh, pro, uh, get in the way of the other part of the First Amendment, which is the free expression or free exercise of religion, nor is it supposed to get in the way of the other clause of the First Amendment, which guarantees free speech. And uh, the uh, what the school was trying to do violated both free exercise of religion and free speech. And Therefore, the Supreme Court was absolutely right in, in smacking the school down. I will note that the coach had done that prayer for years without anybody really noticing until an opposing coach sent a letter to this coach's school and said, I want to compliment your coach because he's setting a good example for my players. And what was meant as a compliment got the school officials all in an uproar so that they then told the coach that he couldn't do what he had been doing uh, without notice for several years. And that's what caused the controversy in the first place. And, uh, and basically, the fact that he had done it for several years with nobody joining him, with, with no coercion, shows that it was innocuous and therefore that that it, it was in no way, shape or form a government establishment of religion. It's Madsen. 
What's your thoughts on those? I'm not going to mince words. I'm freaked out by this decision and I'm freaked out by, uh, by what's happening for the separation of church and state in this country through a variety of de decisions that have been coming out of the Supreme Court. Um, what I think is a really important context here and that hasn't been explicitly enumerated in the discussion so far is that this is a public school. This is a coach. And so inherently by, um, by engaging in prayer when you have an authority figure engaging in prayer um, on the school grounds um, in the middle of a school activity, um, that is that is something that can lead to perceived pressure for players um, to participate in such prayer and and let's be mindful here. I mean, football is a very big sport. People get um, excited about it. The players work really hard, and a coach determines who gets to go in for different plays. And so, um, I do think it's coercive, and I, I'm freaked out by the decision. I'm gonna skip right back over to Quinn. I see him shaking over there. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, there is no way, shape, or form that this is coercive. It, if it had been coercive, then you would have had, uh, you would not have had the coach doing it for several years unnoticed. Uh, the There is no, I repeat, there is no, quote, separation of church and state in the Constitution. The Constitution does not say the state should, must be hostile to religion. The Constitution says the state shall not establish a religion. There's a big difference, especially read in context with the other part of the First Amendment, which says that the state absolutely must protect the free exercise of religion. And that's exactly what the coach was doing. It doesn't burden anybody. It doesn't coerce anybody. It doesn't threaten anybody uh, who, 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 who understands the context. Mr. Mitchell, I'm curious to see what you think now. If there was any evidence of coercion, I assume that would have been mentioned in the decisions, including the dissenting uh, opinions. Uh, as far as I can tell, and as far as I understand, there was no coercion whatsoever, unless you think, uh, as Aaron said, there's implied pressure. Uh, but uh, kids today, I think, are probably more likely to rebel, even if they're religious, they're more likely to rebel than to go along. So I, I just don't see it as being a big problem. Uh, and heck, even if you're an atheist kid uh, and the rest of your team is, is kneeling in a prayer, you're, you might, sure, you might go ahead and kneel with them just out of camaraderie, but it's not, it's not forcing you to think something or anything like that. So I, it, to me, it's just a non-issue. Okay, and we're gonna finish this topic with you, Ms. Matson. Um, I would just sum up in saying that it's amazing how we have such an entirely different conversation about people kneeling on a football field when the conversation is about racism and police violence. Okay. Well, well, let me jump in on that, though. I, I, I think that the football players who were doing that, or for that matter, basketball players, that's also within their rights. Let people express themselves. I mean, you don't have to have society so regimented that you're only allowed to protest at certain points of the day, at certain places in the public square. You know, let people have their opinions and let things flow back and forth and let the, let the best ideas win. I, I, I don't see any problem with being consistent, whether it's Black Lives Matter protesting on football fields, whether it's prayer on football fields, whether you know, some players want to get a mohawk or something like that because they think it makes them look tougher. I, I don't care. Let people uh, live their own lives and, and freely express themselves. All right. Now it's time to take some questions.
from our beautiful viewers. The first question I have is from Kristen Stevenson. Says, do you think Democrats will make abortion an issue in the future Supreme Court confirmation hearings? 100%, no question. Abortion and, and Supreme Court confirmation hearings, and it's going to be coming from all sides. Um, it already has been a focal point. It will continue to be a focal point. It will be a big part of the conversation in the elections as well. I, agree. I, I think uh, I think Aaron's exactly right. Uh, and as a matter of fact, this is a good opportunity to discuss whether or not uh, did uh, uh, Kavanaugh and uh, Gorsuch and uh, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, did they lie during their confirmation hearings because they artfully dodged saying how they would vote on an abortion case? And the, the answer is no. It, it's, it, it, it's perfectly acceptable to say, yes, as of this moment, Roe v. Wade is settled precedent while thinking to yourself, I think it was, you know, like Roe, by the way, like Roe, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you can think it was bad constitutional decision making and say and think to yourself, well, if I'm ever confirmed, I'll vote against it. So I think that this notion that AOC and others are pushing uh, that uh, that some of the new justices lied, I think, is nonsensical. Well, I, on, on that front, uh, to say they lied would be the equivalent of saying that Elena Kagan lied when she was asked uh, on uh, gay marriage. And she was asked whether uh, whether that was settled law or words to that effect. Uh, and oh no, she was asked whether it was a constitutional right. And she said, right. She said there is no constitutional right to uh, homosexual marriage. And then of course she turned around and ruled that there was one. And what she was saying is, as of right now, there is no recognized constitutional right. She was parsing her words very carefully. She was not lying. Neither were the, uh, the three Trump appointees. The next question I have is for Morris Brooks. Are pro-lifers hypocritical for not supporting a social safety net for unwed mothers? Oh, let me jump in on that. Yes. Uh, pro-lifers pro absolutely support a social safety net for unwed mothers. Uh, we've actually been providing social safety nets for unwed mothers for years and years and years. Uh, almost every, uh, almost every pro-life organization uh, actively supports, with money and with other resources and with time, uh, pregnancy centers that help unwed mothers. In fact, that help mothers after their babies are born. Uh, that that help with medical care. That help with counseling that help with, uh, you know, with, with, with provision of basic resources, help with baby beds and that sort of stuff. And now that Roe has been overturned, uh, all the chatter I'm hearing is that those efforts will indeed be redoubled. Ms. Madsen? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I would qualify as help lying to people about how their bodies work and, and purposely misleading and shaming people about abortion and in specific, I mean, what we know about these anti-abortion fake clinics is that um, in many cases, the counseling that is being provided is religious indoctrination, specifically telling people they're going to hell for having had sex. And unfortunately, like, I, I wanna be very clear. I agree very much that we should be providing free diapers to anyone who needs them, that people who need support getting baby 
closed should have that support. But someone should not be placed into a coercive uh, religious class in order to receive them. And I also want to say there's a whole gamut of, of things that happen, not just past in, during pregnancy and, and with an infant, but I'm not seeing anywhere any conversation about the anti-abortion movement saying we're going to step up and start advocating for universal daycare. We're going to help provide uh, child care. There's a whole host of expenses that go beyond just a simple pregnancy. And so I really disagree with, uh, with the idea that those are resources or providing support, but rather that it's a, a place of indoctrination and misinformation. Mr. Mitchell? Uh, oh, go ahead, Quinn. I was just gonna say material support is material support. You can argue about, uh, about the counseling. I think you have mischaracterized the counseling, but material support is being given. It is significant material support. It's both during pregnancy and during in, in infancy, and it's nothing to sneeze at. The, uh, the question was whether there should be a social safety net for mothers who don't have access to abortion and are giving birth. The key distinction is, should it be government or should it be private? I don't want us to go down the path of Europe with big giant universal child allowances or like the per child handout that Biden had uh, in his uh, in his so-called stimulus bill in his first year. Uh, that, that's a recipe for the kind of economic stagnation in Europe where living standards are 30, 40% below American levels. I would much rather have the private sector step up. Uh, I, I think what Quinn was talking about in terms of, uh, uh, of these different centers and churches and organizations trying to help women dealing with these difficult situations, that's the way we should deal with things in America, not with big expensive bureaucracies that lead to high taxes and economic stagnation. Do not travel down the path of turning America into France, Italy, or Greece. It's time for the most underreported story of the week. Who would like to go first? I'll be glad to go first. Uh, there was a whole lot of misreporting of Clarence Thomas's concurring opinion in the uh, Dobbs anti-abortion case. Uh, I saw headlines that said uh, that Clarence Thomas had shown that he wants to, quote, outlaw contraception and homosexuality. That is utterly absurd. What he said, and just about every mainstream media outlet ignored it, he had an entire section where he said uh, that the denial that there's such a thing as what's called substantive due process doesn't necessarily mean that these other rights do not exist. It means that if they exist, they should be found in other parts of the Constitution. And he then took the step of, rec of suggesting another part of the Constitution, that same privileges and immunities clause I mentioned earlier, where he said those rights might be found. So it was completely misreported and underreported that he actually did offer some other alternatives to finding some of the uh, so-called rights that, uh, that might be at issue uh, downstream from this abortion decision. I am so worried about WNBA star Brittany Griner 
um, who is being detained in Russia right now. And um, her trial is coming up soon. My understanding is that in Russia, they typically don't do trials unless, uh, unless they're going to throw someone in the slammer more permanently or convict them. There was an absolutely horrific uh, photograph of her that I saw this week where you could just see the fear in her eyes and what the hell are they doing to her? I am so afraid for her. I join you in that, Aaron, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Amen. That's that's three of us. It's uh, despicable. Uh, Putin in general is despicable, but that case is just an example of how bad he is. My underreported story of the week is what just happened in Arizona, where the most comprehensive school choice statewide system, universal vouchers uh, has been enacted. This is an area where I think we're seeing a revolution. West Virginia last year did statewide school choice with education savings account. What's happened in Arizona is even bigger. And I think, and not to mention states like Indiana and Florida have been expanding uh, their sort of regional or local school choice or poverty uh, driven school choice plans. I think we're seeing a revolution that over the next 10 years is going to dramatically improve educational opportunities, especially for poor kids who have been stuck in government schools and inner cities and places like that that do a really terrible job. This is going to empower parents to get give their, give their children a better leg up in life. And I think it's going to have a wonderful effect on the quality of education in our country. And it's just amazing that it's getting so little attention because what Arizona has done is earth shaking. And I bet other states are going to be following building, as I said, also on what uh, West Virginia did last year and what other states have done in more uh, modest fashion. This is a huge development for families, for education, uh, for children. And I think we should be celebrating. That's all we have time for. Thanks to our guests that we had today. And thank you for watching and listening to The Square Circle. I'm Fode Silla. Please smash that subscribe button. Tell all your friends about the channel. Give us five-star rating. You know you want to see me again. You want to see all of us again. And we'll see you next week.